Welcome to Not Your Boyfriend's Sports Show. I'm Bryn. And I'm Maeve. And this week on the show, the Masters need a madam, the U.S. women's national soccer team roster is looking solid, Boston ran its 119th marathon, and Mayweather is taking hits for domestic abuse. Then our feature this week, sports apparel, is what we wear about more than how we look, plus the return of microsports. Well, to start off, the Women's World Cup is this summer in Canada. So last week, um, Jill Ellis, the U.S. women's national team coach, announced her 23-person roster. How does it look? It looks good. It's like a very nice mix of veterans and young talent. Christy Rampone is playing in her fifth Women's World Cup. Wow. She's the only member of the team that was part of the 1999 championship winning team. Um, which but is Abby pretty Wambach awesome. Abby also played with Mia Hamm back then. I think Abby Wambach's playing her fourth World Cup. She's not. She hasn't played quite as long as Rampone. Um, but the team's going to be led by Wambach, Shannon Box, and Chrissy Rampone. They're uh, they're supposed to do pretty well against the competition. Um, I assume Alex Morgan is back for more. She is, and actually I listened to this great podcast with Bill Simmons where he was interviewing Abby Wambach and Alex Morgan, and Abby Wambach was saying, like, this is going to be her last World Cup, and so she's, like, passing the torch to Alex Morgan going forward. So she, it should be fun to watch Alex and Abby playing together for what will be their last World Cup. It was some nice shine theory going on. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, last week we talked a little bit about the Masters Tournament, And since then, since its conclusion, there have been calls for Augusta to host a women's Masters tournament. Paula Creamer, who is one of the leading players on the LPGA Tour, she called once again for Augusta to host a women's tournament. She tweeted out that the Masters do so much to grow the game and that women are the fastest area of growth for golf. And the LPGA itself has made this request every year since 2010. And is there any movement? Not so much, because you'll really like this, Bryn. Augusta Chair Billy Payne held his annual State of the Masters, State of Augusta address, who knows. And he spent a good long while eulogizing the Eisenhower tree. And this is a literal tree that's in the middle of the 17th fairway and has posed a challenge to many players over the decade. It was uh, taken down in an ice storm last year Billy Payne was very sad about it. He talked a lot about it. They've gotten a cross-section of the tree. They've taken what a sprig this, to... What does this have to do just, just like with women? women? Okay. They've taken a sprig to uh, maintain the genetics of the tree. And then he gets asked, why won't you host a women's tournament? And his answer was basically three sentences long. And he said that Augusta has such a short season, seven months... And the time that we dedicate to the preparation and conduct of the tournament is already extensive. So, trees, very important. Women's golf, not so much. Wow, what a a metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, the fight continues. (laughs) Great. Well, speaking of fighting, um, this week the sports news has been all about Floyd Mayweather, who is scheduled to participate in a boxing match against Manny Pacquiao. This is supposed to be a huge fight, like one of the biggest of all time. Um, But the, the discussion in the news this week has really been about 
Floyd Mayweather's history of domestic violence. Mm. He, he's been accused of domestic violence seven times in the last 13 years. Seriously? Seven times. That's like once every two years. Yeah. Like most of the charges have been dropped for one reason or another, but he was convicted on a couple counts. Like, And he doesn't deny it. Whenever he's been asked about it recently, there, people will ask him really direct questions and he'll just be like, Manny, the Pacquiao fights, May, whatever. Like, <laughs> tune in. It's going to be huge. And that's all he'll say. Like, he refuses to acknowledge it. He shows zero remorse. So we'll go into domestic violence on another episode. Yeah. where We could probably talk for hours about it. But this fight, I mean, Mayweather could make over $100 million from this one fight. And it's just like... Why are we endorsing this guy? But, like, why am I not surprised either? Yeah. Well, uh, switching gears a little bit, a non-terrible story for women this week. That's refreshing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So Boston just had hosted the 119th Boston Marathon, and this happens every year on Patriots Day, which I was totally unaware was not really a thing outside of Massachusetts. (laughs) (laughs) But... Uh, regardless, uh, there were 30,000 runners this year, roundabouts, and the women's race was actually really exciting. Caroline Rotish of Kenya edged out Mari Debaba of Ethiopia by four seconds, so it was wow. really close right at the end. And Caroline finished in two hours, 24 minutes, and oh 55 seconds. That is so fast. So you can have a new marathon goal, Brent. Oh, great. Perfect. <laughs> Um, and then on the men's side, uh, Lalisa DeCisa, I might be botching all of these names. Um, That's okay. We'll let it slide. Uh, he's from Ethiopia. He won the men's race in two hours, nine minutes, and 17 seconds. He also won in 2013, which was, of course, just hours before the bombing went off. Wow. Um, that year, he returned his medal in solidarity with Boston. And two years later, we still remembered the victims. And shout out to Boston Strong. All right, well, after the break, we're talking sports peril. Can't wait. Welcome back. Next up, it is common knowledge, quote-unquote, that girls really love talking about clothes and fashion and shoes and makeup. And it turns out we're no different. (laughs) (laughs) That it's kind of true. So today we're going to be talking about sports apparel specifically. I mean, what you wear can have an impact on how you perform, whether it's a real function of the gear or just maybe some psychological backup for you. Yeah, and not only that, but it's a huge business. Huge, huge. It's in every aspect of every sport. So um, we took a look at some of the largest university contracts with the big players in the sports apparel industry. So that's Nike, Adidas, Under Armour. Mm -hmm. Um, Nike's based in Oregon, so they always try out their new designs on the Oregon football team. I didn't know they were based in Oregon. Yeah, they're just outside of Portland. That's why Oregon always has those crazy, like, feathers and things all over their jerseys. Um, And Under Armour does the same thing for Maryland with Maryland's crazy flag all over their uniforms. As it turns out, my alma mater has (laughs) the largest current contract that's publicly available 
Um, what which, do you mean? Like it's up for? Well, so Michigan is a public university, so they publish some of their oh. financial statements. So they currently have a contract with Adidas where Adidas donates $4.4 million in equipment and apparel every year, and they pay Michigan $3.8 million for the right to do so. Wow. So it's this massive contract. To be honest, I thought it would be more than like $8 million, but I guess that's... Well, it's playing to one very specific market. It is. I mean, it's still a big number. But Notre Dame is thought to have an even larger contract with Under Armour. It's just that they're a private university, so they don't publish their financials the same way. I'm actually impressed that there's any level of transparency in college sports. Well, it's funny because you know how much they're getting paid by Adidas, but there's no record on where that money goes. Interesting. So, (laughs) unclear. Okay, well, I think there are a lot of a lot of tutors being paid Mm -hmm. to help the student athletes. a lot going on behind the scenes there. But for as much as they pay, this huge, these huge contracts might actually not benefit the uh, sports apparel companies because like Adidas with their huge Michigan contract has seen a lot of backlash because in both football and basketball games, there have been instances where the jerseys are like ripped mid-game and Oof. there have just been a ton of complaints about the quality of the materials. And so they're paying so much money to have their brand represented on national TV, and then it doesn't perform, and they're getting a ton of backlash from it. That sort of seems like step one to me. I would I would think that if you're going to pay that much money and have that much money, you would make a quality product. But it's interesting to look at these contracts because it is all over campus. I would see people in their athletic apparel. You can pick out student-athletes, buy it, like... It, everyone wants to dress like their favorite athletes, so it earns the companies a ton of revenue. But I feel like we have to say obligatory every time we talk about college sports. All of this money, none of it's going to the students. So no. you dress like your favorite student doesn't mean that they get any money. But in this case, they get a lot of swag. They get shoes, they get warm-ups, they get True. all kinds of things from Adidas and Nike, whichever their school has. Well, maybe we'll discuss these trade-offs on a future episode. The life of a college athlete. (laughs) Well, okay, so brands that you mentioned, like Nike and Under Armour, they obviously have contracts not only with college teams, but professional teams. But lately, they've been making a really big push to customers beyond hardcore athletes. So they're looking at the general population and trying to make their clothing an essential part of even the non-athlete's wardrobe branding it as kind of lifestyle or active wear. And this is really different, I think, from when you and me grew up because anytime I was buying sports stuff, it was to actually go play sports. Yeah, definitely. Like, shout out City Sports Ladies section. (laughs) Or Um, Little Boys section growing up. Yeah, but it was like you were getting a sports bra or soccer shorts that fit or cleats that were narrow enough. It wasn't, everything had an equivalent men's product. There wasn't such segmenting of the market it felt like. But anyway, so this new pivot toward lifestyle is really driven by focusing on women And this is where a lot of the growth is. Um, Women's athletic apparel is already a $30 billion market. And so these brands, a lot of people say, industry analysts, are trying to emulate in some way the success of Lululemon. 
They didn't come before Lululemon? They certainly were there before Lululemon, but this idea of um, pigeonholing this customer base that weren't hardcore athletes, that were more just looking for activewear for their lifestyle, kind of think of Mm. like, you know, yoga pants and that you need something different for... Yeah, that's true. Like everyone is wearing Nike Freeze like all the time just for walking around town, not for actually working out in any way. Right, that it's fashionable, but also this idea that like when you go to your spin class versus your yoga class versus, you know, your CrossFit training, you need different pairs of spandex or tops or whatever for each of those activities. And you really need to look good doing it too. Totally. Lululemon kind of was um, a market leader in this regard that, you know, you should look good going to the gym. And so it's become really fashionable, like we said. And so in response, the big three companies that we've talked about, Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, even Foot Locker, they have made pivots toward trying to also get in on this women's market. Under Armour is trying to lighten the mood in their stores, opening more dedicated brand stores, which appeal to women rather than just selling through something like Dick's Sporting Goods. Hmm. Nike took things to the really logical extreme, and they created a high-end fashion activewear line. I saw this. Yes, in collaboration with this Japanese fashion studio called Sakai. Um, So we're talking like capes and long skirts and like ruffles that sort of resembled lingerie. And all of this was hand wash, of course. And so this whole line offered zero function at all, but obviously that's not really the point here. They're selling themselves as fashion and, I don't know, hoping for a trickle-down effect? I mean, yeah, even like Adidas Samba, like the indoor soccer shoes that we all had when we were kids, like those are considered like fashionable now. Like not, not by athletes, by like high fashion people. It's probably part of that, like, norm core thing that I can't quite understand. (laughs) And it's not even just people who, you know, are doing some sort of athletic endeavor, but it's, like, brands like Gap and Old Navy have also started trying to sell this sort of activewear idea. They're really trying to target moms, dressing their whole families at discounted prices. Well, along with all of the new lines that these brands are creating, they're also creating new ways to advertise to women, Mm -hmm. which is pretty interesting to look at the different brands and how they go about it. Nike has this Better For It commercial and campaign where they show women, like, wanting to give up during their sporting (laughs) events or, like, being intimidated by the people around them in spin class. Um, Uh And then by the end of the commercial, they turned, you know, I can't into, I just did it. And, like, supposed to be really inspiring. And talking with Maeve about this, (laughs) I know you have a lot of problems with this campaign. I do, but I'm trying to withhold them until you finish describing it for for the listeners. Well, no, let's hear your thoughts. So... I thought this commercial was really interesting because as a girl who grew up playing sports, I found it kind of offensive that one of the girls in the commercial is running in a half marathon and she gives up after mile two. Or like another girl can't hold a plank for like, I don't even know, 10 seconds or whatever it is. And this to me is just so not representative of what I'm capable of, what the girls that I grew up playing with are capable of, what the female athletes that I look up to are capable of. But the interesting thing, and maybe you were going to talk about this too, was the comments on the YouTube video. Oh, no. 
a lot of the comments were really, really positive. And they were like, yeah, this is totally me. I feel the total same way in yoga class. Or like, yes, absolutely, I totally get this. And all of the comments were so positive. So, so it definitely appeals to one segment of the female population, but not certainly not everyone. Certainly not me. <laughs> well, I'll be honest. When I So I first saw this, it was being linked to all over like my Facebook, social media, whatever, when it first came out. And so I was at work and I was doing something else, but I like pressed play on the YouTube video and yeah. I sort of watched it without headphones in. Yeah. And so the whole commercial has a voiceover of like these girls' inner thoughts when they're like, oh, I can't do it. Or like running half of a half marathon's okay. Oh. Like all these like negative thoughts, but I didn't hear that part when I first oh, watched it. Interesting. And so I watched the whole thing thinking that it was all about like watching all these strong women around you and like feeling like inspired and and finishing more than you could be, you thought you could because you yeah. were inspired by everyone around you then i rewatched it today <laughs> that way. and i was like oh my god no this yeah. is like people being intimidated by all the other women around them instead of being empowered by them Oh, so that was, Rin, that's such a good observation. I was like totally shocked when I watched it again today. Wow. Well, I think it was also interesting. We were um, looking at some other commercials earlier this week and how sports apparel is marketed toward men. I thought it was really funny because we watched, there's this whole series of um, Kobe commercials with Kobe Bryant. Yes, they're amazing. And it's like amazing. the Kobe system. And <laughs> it's like, how do you get better when you're already the best and all of this stuff? And they have, like, Kanye West is in the commercials, Aziz Ansari's there, Richard, Richard Branson. <laughs> and they're hilarious, and they're so funny. And so now I'm thinking about your comments, and, like, I connected way more with advertising that was supposed to be to men yeah, than what they were trying to sell me as a woman. Yeah, I mean, I think advertising for men is much more connected to, like, celebrities and, like, people who are at the top of their game than, like, women's... You know, there are some... some advertisements that use celebrities but there are a lot more that are just about like push yourself like yeah. you can do this girl and like yeah. just a lot more like psychology and like trying to empower you with words not by looking up to this role model like maybe maybe they think that women won't see it as achievable if they use the Mia hams of the world well I think that's also interesting because I read a quote and I can't remember if it was Nike or Under Armour, but there was a spokesman for one of the ad campaigns and they basically were like, yeah, you know, we'd love to use more women, but there's just not enough female athletes out there. And I was kind of like hitting my head like, against the wall. how is that possible? Right. And oh no, you know what? I think it was Nike because then the comparison was Under Armour's series of commercials with Misty Lindsay Vaughn and Misty Copeland. Yeah. Although I think that they also at one point used Giselle as one of their spokespeople, which yeah. is like, she's a model, you know? She's not an that's athlete. What, that's what all the Twitter things said behind her in the yeah. commercial. Um, I don't know. She looked pretty fierce. I mean, I get that to be a model, you got to be pretty fit and everything. But to pick a model over a female professional athlete when yeah, you're selling would... sports apparel, to me, just seems like such a missed opportunity because you're presenting this idealism of female figure versus this achievement of body performance. But again, I would say like maybe the juxtaposition of using Misty Copeland for one of those ads and Giselle for another is that 
they're trying to harness more than one segment of the female population and like target some of the women who feel like they aren't these like elite athletes but they can still like buy the products and like compete in difficult workouts and fine but I get it there are more types of women out there than me okay I understand (laughs) (laughs) just trying to think broader Well, speaking of advertising to women, part of advertising in sports is, uh, it's kind of a newer thing, but this uh, idea of cause marketing, which is when you advertise behind a good cause. The primary example of this is how every October, the NFL players are decked out in pink jerseys and pink cleats and pink sweatbands and the whole thing. And this is all supposed to raise awareness for breast cancer. This is a charitable charitable partnership between the NFL and the American Cancer Society. And I think it's all well and good. And breast cancer is a serious issue. Cancer writ large is a serious issue. It's good that there's more awareness. We want more research dollars. But there has been some serious criticism of the NFL's campaign. Because if you sort of go beneath the surface... If you go beneath the pink, if you will. <laughs> Peel back the pink. <laughs> yeah. And you will find. <laughs> You'll find, friend, that uh, only 8% of the money made by the NFL during what I'm going to call Pinktober actually goes to the American Cancer Society. So for every $100 of pink merchandise sold, $12.50 goes to the NFL. And of that, eleven twenty-five goes to the ACS. Whoa! So eight percent of merchandise sales, not not eight percent of everything the NFL makes. Right, eight percent of the pink uh, apparel breast sales. cancer branded apparel sales. Whoa! I and, thought it was way more than that. Yeah, and the other tricky part of it is that so the remaining money of that original one hundred dollars is then divided up between the company that sells the merchandise and the company that makes the merchandise. And the company that sells the merchandise is often the NFL or its franchises itself. Yeah. So they're really getting a ton of money off of this. And yet, between 2009 and 2013, the NFL donated $4.5 million to the ACS, which sounds good, except when you consider that every season the NFL makes about $9 billion. (laughs) And your average Super Bowl ad costs $4 million. So essentially, they earn in 30 seconds what they donated to the ACS over four years. Wow. Which is just so disappointing, but you could say it gets worse because another criticism of this whole thing is that while raising awareness for breast cancer is good, it also raises awareness for one disease over a whole host of other ones to the exclusion of things like mental health or um, specifically, domestic abuse has come up a lot. Yeah, and I feel like the pink breast cancer awareness has like become such a thing, and so you know it's used for for like five Ks and all these other in other, all these other yeah. sports too. That like when people try to have you know a mental health month or a domestic vi- violence month, like it just doesn't have the same luster as, yeah. and the same recognition as this pink branded month. Yeah, and the thing that I learned researching this episode is that the National Coalition Against Domestic Abuse has actually been branding October as its awareness month since the 1980s. And there was a really great article by Ann Friedman, Hala represent, love you. <laughs> Fairy pop mother. <laughs> Fairy pop mother. Oh, I love it. Um, anyway, so she wrote a really great piece where she talked about 
how the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence sort of saw Pinktober happening and really thought to themselves, like, we're toast. Like, how can you sell domestic violence against breast cancer? Breast cancer is, like, to use advertising terms, an easy sell. It has kind of an ambiguous villain. Nobody has to confront really difficult issues or conversations. Totally. There's no power imbalance or rape culture or gender roles or victim blaming in in cancer, which there definitely is in domestic abuse. Yeah. And this was all thrown into such sharp contrast last season because October was right on the heels of the whole Ray Rice scandal. Yeah. And, you know, just to see this display of apparent support for women and as a way that they connect with female viewers, it all just seemed so empty and it received a lot of criticism given how botched their response was not only to Ray Rice but to their problems of domestic abuse and and protecting their players against all sorts of criminal records. Yeah absolutely it was sort of a moment where everyone took a step back after seeing like all this pink all over the field and we were like do they really care? Are they really really doing anything? Like yeah is there anyone that's really taking a firm stand and like changing the culture in the NFL? Well, there was one kind of nice tidbit to that regard um, in this whole thing, and that was when Chicago Bears wide receiver Brandon Marshall, he wanted to wear green cleats to promote Mental Health Awareness Week, which is also in October. Mm-hmm. October just seems to be the month. Um, anyway, he got fined $10,500 for breaking dress code, <laughs> which he paid, and then he also matched with his own charitable donation. And this whole thing just reeked of irony, considering that there has been so much evidence coming forward lately of the long-term health effects of concussions that NFL players receive over and over and over again during their careers. Yeah, and the fact that the NFL fined him for trying to highlight, you know, one aspect of that. And that was their compromise. First, they were going to suspend him. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, moving beyond just pink for breast cancer awareness, you know, the color pink has been kind of an issue for me for a while. Um, As a sports fan for so long, the only sports apparel you could get in female sizes Mm -hmm. or made for women was just like pink washed, you know? It was just like pink hats, pink t-shirts, pink versions of all the men's clothes. And that's never been what I wanted, but... Um, I'm totally with you. It felt like such an invalidation of my fandom to be reduced to one color and one style. But basically, it's not just you and me. Alyssa Milano, child actor, current hottie. What is she in? (laughs) She was in Charmed. Okay. Uh, But anyway, she's been expanding her repertoire because she's quite the savvy little businesswoman. She had the same problem as you and me. She went to a Dodgers game and couldn't find anything that would fit her that wasn't pink. And she decided that she was going to start her own line of women's sports apparels for teams. So when she was pitching this idea, she came up actually against a lot of resistance. And the criticism was whether or not she knew enough about sports, which I found sort of confusing considering, like, yeah. why would you need to know about sports rather than... You just have to than... be a sports fan and know what you want to be wearing. So anyway, she starts this brand, she starts shopping it around... Um, But there was this one part of the article that I just have to segue for a second because it was so infuriating to me. This whole notion of like Alyssa Milano has to be a sports fan in order to sell sports clothing. 
um, they started the article, then started giving examples of how she really is a sports fan. And the first example they used was sort of the classic, like, yeah, I grew up watching sports with my dad, which, like, sure. okay, I hand that one to you. Valid. Fine. The second example was how many pro athletes she's dated. <laughs> and it gets worse because after that, you get to her, like, real cred. And she's had season tickets to the Kings and the Dodgers for, like, over a decade. But she also has a blog at MLB.com. She hosts a sports segment on TBS, and she literally wrote a book about being a baseball fan. And her dog is named Dodger Dog. (laughs) But none of this came before the detail that she's dated a lot of pro athletes. I mean... That, that makes logical sense. Like, FYI, <laughs> totally. not that you needed the side note, but the article was clearly written by a dude. Of course. Anyway, so because she was coming up against all of this, like, art, do you really know about sports? She sort of sidestepped the whole thing and just started selling her line directly through her own website and on MLB.com. Smart woman. She sold out in five weeks. And so all the team sort of woke up to like, oh, there's money to be made. <laughs> and so uh, her line is called Touch, and it's now the only apparel company that has licensing deals for women's clothes with all the major American sports and NASCAR. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And this sort of opened the floodgates of other products that were starting to be marketed toward women that were team-specific, like there are OPI nail polishes, there's CoverGirl Fanicures, there's, you know... Like Dunienberg purses. Exactly. And, like, bracelets and charms and, like... Crystal embellished, who knows what, like all sorts of ridiculous stuff. But the whole scheme is totally working because now 30% of all MLB merchandise is bought by women, and the NFL saw women's apparel grow by 76% since 2010. And products made specifically for women now make up 17% of all merchandise, which is up from basically zero about eight years ago. So, I guess big picture. No one message, no one sporting apparel line is going to appeal to everyone. But I guess I'm glad to see that companies are are understanding that women have a lot of purchasing power, yes. a lot of interest, and are going to engage with them in a lot of different ways. You know, like as sports fans, as athletes, as fashion enthusiasts, like all of these things are ways that women are going to connect with the companies. And to that effect, Under Armour just bought three of the biggest social media fitness apps. Oh, yeah. So like Map My Fitness, Map mm-hmm. My Run, that whole family, Under Armour now owns them. It's a pretty clear example of the ways that they are understanding that women want to work with them and yeah. engage in their products. Like women are more likely to share on social media. But um, they're thinking about women as kind of individual customers and what might appeal to women rather than just shrinking and pinking men's gear. Yeah, exactly. They're taking a much more holistic approach to engaging women, so. Yeah, well, I mean, I know that we brought to light a lot of criticisms in this discussion, but I would say on the whole, while I am still probably going to keep rocking my nasty, ratty gym (laughs) shirts, (laughs) I do appreciate that women are getting the attention, that they're being taken seriously, not only by teams selling merchandise, but also in terms of fitness gear more generally. I am eagerly awaiting the perfect sports bra. Never going to happen. I am perhaps... Not possible. More eagerly awaiting anti-chafe technology. <laughs> like, I don't know why this isn't a thing yet. Um, like, I have hips, I have legs, they rub together. They do. Figure it out. <laughs> 
so yeah, all in all, I think it's a positive trend. Definitely. All right. Well, when we come back, speaking of positive trends, we're going to get back in touch about microsports. All right, microsports. Microsports. <laughs> so, Maeve, what have you been up to lately? Well, I accidentally took a spin class because I mixed up the times of my kickboxing class. And I sort of used to be really judgy about spin. But this then isn't, I, is this Soul Cycle? No, okay. no, no. This is at the Y. Okay. Okay, <laughs> okay great. Um, so, I took a spin class. I was like, you know, this actually shaked up my routine nicely. So, I did it for a couple weeks. Then I had to go on a day I don't normally go, and the instructor ended up being this, he must have been at least 60. Like, definitely had white hair, maybe a little sagging skin, but like, you know when older men are really in shape, and so they sort of have, like, their skin starting to sag a little bit, but then they still have so much Mm -hmm. muscle definition. And you're like, you could be anywhere from (laughs) 50 to 80, and I wouldn't know. So anyway, I walk in and this is the instructor and I'm like, okay, we'll see how this goes. And I was being totally judgy about it again. And I should have learned my lesson the first time because this dude kicked my ass. Like it was (laughs) unbelievable. And he was, it was very, very intense, but also very zen. What kind of music was he playing? Like, I have the tiger? No, like I couldn't even describe to you. Like it was all instrumental, first of all. Okay, But it like crescendoed and decrescendoed and then he would get off his bike and walk around and get in your face and be like breathing breathing (laughs) climbing climbing but it was very zen yet very intense that's amazing yeah i wish i had him like running behind me during my marathon training like breathe i'm sure he's like leading you know this 60 plus age group in triathlons all over the country or something (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) well anyway how's the marathon training going um well i think last time i had just run my first 15 miler um and this past weekend i just ran my first 20 miler so another big milestone out the door and now i'm sort of tapering until the marathon which is three weeks away it's crazy well I saw you after your 20 mile run and you were still standing which I found pretty incredible yeah you know I foam rolled for about like 20 minutes and then ate two Thai Thai food entrees well maybe I should start running marathons just to eat more Thai food I mean that's that's what I've been doing it's working well so far I'll take it yeah All right, well, that's not your boyfriend's sports show for this week. Maeve, where can they find us? They can find us so many places. We're on Facebook, Not Your Boyfriend's Sports Show. We're on Twitter and Instagram, at NYBF Sports. Mm-hmm. You can always email us, nybfsports at gmail.com. And the podcast will be up on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. All right, well, that about does it for this week. Good game, Bryn. Good game, Maeve.